today, we begin a new message series in the book of First Peter entitled Rumors of Hope. During a pandemic, people traffic in rumors, infection rumors, treatment rumors, symptoms rumors, economic rumors, vaccine rumors. The truth is that until something is a proven fact, it's a rumor. And in that sense, faith is a rumor, a rumor of hope. But this rumor is vital to shape our lives to the contours of the really real, the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter presents as fact Jesus's example of submission and service and sacrifice to encourage ours. The transformation of followers like Peter provides evidence that living the Christian life according to the pattern of Christ's life is possible. And 1 Peter encourages us to confidently believe the rumors, receive the truth, and become living proof that Jesus is alive and well and living through us. This morning, we'll explore the background to the book of 1 Peter, as well as Peter's greeting, which encapsulates the letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. To begin, let's look at grace and peace in Peter's life. If you were to examine the salutation beginning each New Testament letter, you'd usually find grace and peace, and always in that order. Two of the pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy, uh, commend grace, mercy, and peace, but we never find peace before grace. Our experience during the COVID-19 pandemic bears this out. As we struggle through the fog created in our lives by the shutdown, uh, the stress hormones increase, what's called our allostatic load as anxiety strains our brains. Sheltered in place, we miss the folks we saw each day, commuting to work, getting lunch, going to the gym. Those interactions were cues that we're okay. We're part of a larger social network. But in isolation, our brains work overtime to protect us identifying threats in our environment, ready to react. Despite our good intentions to use this time well, follow a schedule, read good books, exercise and enjoy nutritious meals, we struggle to remember the date sometimes. (laughs) And we endlessly read the news, most of it bad. We become sedentary and snack through the day. Allostatic load increases sleep disturbance, agitation, and depression fed by uncertainty. Uh, We thrive on structure and predictability. But if you've received grace, you can experience God's peace even now. Reveling in God's grace clears the anxiety that clouds our minds. A sense of wholeness and well-being, despite the circumstances we find ourselves in, comes by living into the grace we've received. Our salvation is by grace alone, and so too is peace. God takes the initiative and we respond, experiencing shalom even in the midst of uncertainty and suffering. 
Now look at the life of our author, Peter, provides abundant proof. The letter claims Peter the Apostle is author, but some dispute this due to the quality of the Greek it is written in, as well as this sophisticated grammatical structure. Peter spoke Aramaic, but the written language in the Greco-Roman world was Koine Greek, as it's called, an everyday form of Greek, and Peter likely had the equivalent of a middle school education in this. Jewish boys attended school, focusing on the Hebrew scriptures until age 13, and then typically learned a trade as an apprentice after that. Many would live with a tradesman's family, doing chores and menial labor while they learned their craft. Marriage was encouraged by about the age of 20. Uh, the Mishnah, the oral tradition uh, based on the Torah, states that boys began attending uh, Bet Midrash, or House of Study, rabbi school, uh, by the age of 15. Uh, the rabbi would then call his students, and a chosen few became one of his disciples. Now, unlike Paul, who studied with the great rabbi Gamaliel, Peter didn't make the cut. And so he worked in the family fishing business. And Peter was essentially an underschooled fisherman, at least in terms of written Greek. And so he clearly had some help with the manuscript of 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, uh, we see it. Peter humbly thanks Silas, also known as Silvanus, for serving as his amanuensis or secretary. And Peter dictated the letter and Silas then smoothed it out. Reading 2 Peter in Greek <clears throat> is a much rougher ride than 1 Peter because the old fisherman wrote that one himself. Peter wrote 1 Peter around 62-63 AD during the reign of Nero. Now, rejected by the rabbinical system, by grace, Jesus invited Peter to be his disciple. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. It's believed that Peter was born about the same year as Jesus, and so it was about 30 AD when he accepted Jesus' invitation to be his disciple. Martyred in AD 63 or 64, Peter spent those intervening 30 years fishing for people, planting, strengthening, and leading churches. Now, Peter was a recipient of grace throughout his life. In his early days as Jesus' disciple, he was a human highlight film of bad ideas, rash words, and impulsive acts. Prompt in action and hasty in judgment, often wrong but never in doubt, he displayed animal courage, but his moral courage was easily overcome. During the storm on Galilee, as Jesus walked on water, people, Peter joined him, and as he sank into the lake, Jesus took Peter's hand and said, you have little faith, why did you doubt? On the mountain of transfiguration, uh, when the Lord Jesus' deity, his glory shone through his humanity, uh, there on the mountain with Jesus, James, and John, God rebuked Peter uh, when he suggested building tabernacles for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Um, when he refused to allow the Lord to wash his feet at the Last Supper, and Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Uh, 
When Peter refused to believe that Jesus would die, Jesus rebuked him, get behind me, identifying him with those set against God's plan. At times, Peter vacillated, as with the church in Antioch, uh, at first eating with the Gentiles and then refusing to do so. And so in Galatians, says the Apostle Paul, opposed him to his face. When the Roman guard came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter cut off one of their ears. And on the night of Jesus' trial, Peter was so concerned about his image and safety that he denied being associated with Christ three times. But after Jesus' resurrection, Peter was a changed man. And in Acts 12, we see recorded Herod's increasing persecution of these Christians, the new community. After having James, the brother of John, executed and seeing that the Jews approved, he had Peter arrested and placed in prison. Sleeping between two guards, an angel of the Lord appeared. And the chains on Peter's wrists fell off, and the angel escorted Peter out of prison. And Peter reemerges at the first church council in Jerusalem and there gave personal testimony that the gospel is for the Gentiles too. And the next time we hear from him is in the greeting of this letter, his faith matured. A few years after writing this epistle, Peter was martyred because he would never deny Christ again. According to tradition, when they crucified Peter, he insisted that he be crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in the manner of his Lord. Now, Peter addressed his first letter to God's chosen, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And this is the region north of the Taurus Mountains in Asia Minor, in present-day Turkey, and had been under Roman control from the mid-first century BC. Jewish pilgrims to Jerusalem from this area for Passover uh, were present when Peter preached uh, the first sermon of the church recorded in Acts chapter 2, to which 3,000 responded. In his history of the church, written in the third century, Eusebius stated that Peter preached in this region and spent most of his time in Cappadocia. And there's a rumor that Cappadocia was known for its coffee drinks, as well as a tough twilled cotton cloth used in trousers called chinos, known as cappuccinos. I think I need a rim shot right there. And this area was diverse ethnically and religiously, Jews and Gentiles together. And throughout the book, Peter uses Old Testament allusions uh, that Jews in the dispersion would understand and addressed Gentiles uh, as those who formerly lived the empty way of life handed down to them from their ancestors. The Gentiles were not a people, now the people of God while the Jews were God's chosen, but now included with non-Jews in the new people of God. It's not entirely clear where Peter wrote this. At the end of the epistle, he sends his greetings from she who is in Babylon and his son, Mark. The she is thought to be Peter's wife, who was often a traveling companion along with Mark. And Peter provided the material that uh, became the Gospel of Mark. Uh, together they send greetings from Babylon, which has traditionally been taken to be Rome, 
uh, but is best taken as just a general term for exile. Peter is writing from somewhere in the dispersion to exiles in the dispersion. It wasn't long after Peter wrote this that Nero Claudius Caesar acted on his dream to build a golden palace on an inhabited portion of Esquiline Hill in Rome, one of the seven hills in Rome. He set out on a plan to start a fire and blame the already unpopular Christians. And the Neronian persecution spread rapidly throughout the empire. <clears throat> Allusions to Christ's unashamed suffering as a template for Christians uh, throughout 1 Peter is a key theme in the book. Uh, and it's a response to this persecution Christians faced. Now, Peter's letter is an urgent appeal to create a Christian counterculture in exile by living into their new life in Christ and new identity as the people of God. Now, Peter does not call them to withdraw from society, but to engage it in ways that maintain their true identity. They're immigrants in their host nation, respectfully participating in its culture only to the extent that its values and customs coincide with their own. Now, history bears out that these exiles, these foreigners, responded to Peter's appeal. Forty years later, Pliny the Younger, son of Pliny the Older, uh, the Roman governor of two of the provinces Peter addressed in this epistle, asked for counsel from uh, the Roman emperor Trajan, uh, as to how to deal with these Christians. Uh, the Romans considered Christianity uh, a deadly virus undermining the worship of Roman gods. They interpreted their stubborn refusal uh, as resistance uh, to Roman rule. And Pliny's investigations revealed only that the Christians' harmless practices were apparent. Neither Pliny nor Trajan mentioned crimes Christians committed. Uh, the only crime they committed was being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the accusations that came against these Christians were anonymous. And so Pliny gave suspected Christians three chances to renounce Christ. And if they refused, they were executed. Ironically, while Peter denied Christ three times in the courtyard as Christ was tried by the Sanhedrin, these believers were given three chances to deny Christ but refuse. According to 1 Peter, Christians live out of a suitcase, as it were, in this world. That's the mindset of 1 Peter. Peter didn't write the ditty, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, but he would have sung it with gusto. A feeling of displacement is the normal sense of the Christian life. A person who knows God and has a home in heaven can't feel completely comfortable here. Uh, they're no longer citizens of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, or Jerusalem, but citizens of another country. And just as the Jews were exiled to Babylon from the promised land, we're exiles from our promised land, uh, the kingdom of heaven. And during the coronavirus pandemic, we are exiled in our own land as well, uh, not by a foreign enemy, but a, a virus invader. Uh, the COVID-19 exile, it will certainly change us. And the question is, how should our lives change? And that is the message of First Peter. 
And so we see abundant evidence of grace and then peace in Peter's life. Now let's look at grace and peace in your life. Let's read the passage again. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. After years of struggle, Peter finally believed the rumor that God chose him and God accepted him. He didn't need to earn God's love. He didn't have to be a tough guy. He didn't have to be the hero. He didn't have to be the can-do leader. He wasn't an innovative theologian like Paul. God didn't choose him for that. God poured himself through Peter's personality. And as a result, many trace their identity in Christ to his ministry and influence. And it goes on to today. And that's what happens when we accept the grace of our chosenness. As Peter begins his book, he starts with a rumor that must have seemed incredible uh, given the situation of his readers. Ostracized and criticized, God chose you. Outnumbered and overpowered, God chose you. Overworked and overwhelmed, God chose you. Strangers to the world, but no stranger to him, God chose you. If you've ever wondered whether you're anyone's favorite person, by grace you have this assurance, you're God's favorite person. God chooses you. My dear mother, Trink Smith, passed away nearly 10 years ago at the age of 84. <clears throat> and she was just 62 years old when my father passed away, a young widow, overwhelmed with grief. But my sometimes possessive father's death released her to be what she truly lived for, being a grandmother to her nine grandchildren. And for the last 22 years of her life, she poured unconditional love into each of those kids. She greeted each one every time with utter delight. I'll never forget her graveside service, during which each of her grandchildren confidently proclaimed that they were grandma's favorite. And they were right. She loved and celebrated each one as much as any other. If asked, are you anyone's favorite person? They had a ready response. If you were asked, are you anyone's favorite person? How would you respond? Whether you feel generously loved or desperately unloved, you have an answer. Look in the mirror. You are God's favorite person. Now, that's not something you'll pick up in the normal flow of life. It sounds like a rumor, uh, too good to be true almost, that floats into your mind but seizes your heart. Is it really true? Does God really love me? Am I God's favorite? I, you mean I'm not the kid on the playground who doesn't get picked for a team? Peter responds with this. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. The term translated knew is a Greek word, prognosko, uh, from which we get our term prognosis, 
God knew you from eternity. He's known you personally. He knew your prognosis. He saw what he chose you to do and to be. And as God said to Jeremiah, God says to you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God's foreknowledge is not information God has about us before we're born that he uses to decide whether or not to choose us. Well, that would base our chosenness on our works, not God's grace. The wrong questions are, well, who else did God choose? Uh, How did I deserve this? The right questions are, why did God choose me? And, And what did he choose me to become? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his, in his eyes. God the Father has taken the initiative to draw us into an intimate, loving relationship, but one in which God has complete authority. Now, God's purposeful plan it forms the living hope Peter presents throughout 1 Peter. Whether he chose anyone else, he chose you. We may be strangers in this world, but we're not strangers to God. There is nothing more exhilarating than experiencing the reality of being the favorite person of the most important person in the universe. And he proves it every day with the richest found in Jesus Christ. So I want to start a rumor with you today. God chose you. Wondering whether or not God chose you according to his foreknowledge before the foundations of the world? Well, that's a waste of time. If you begin with the assumption that God chose you and accept God's work on your behalf, you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are chosen. And chosen is not exclusive. You're God's favorite, but you're not the only one. God invites everyone to receive grace and experience peace. John 3.16 says, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In Romans 10.13, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter goes on to reveal that the Holy Spirit is the agent of this grace. He does the sanctifying work. Uh, He's in charge of the cleanup. Uh, shaping us into new creations. In the Old Testament, animal blood was sprinkled on the people to establish their first covenant with God. Uh, They were sealed by that sacrifice. Uh, Now the Holy Spirit applies Christ's sacrifice to us, sprinkling us with the blood of Christ to seal the new covenant. What the law was powerless to do, transform people's hearts, has now been made possible by Christ's sacrifice. The Holy Spirit provides the power that makes our obedience possible. God chooses us to be new covenant people, indwelt by the Spirit and transformed by Christ's love. However, besides simply receiving God's gift of grace through Christ, uh, none of this is easy. (laughs) Um, Obedience, it comes at a cost. A theme that Peter will return to often is that just as Christ suffered to bring us to God, we will suffer too. Jesus predicted that the world would not like us. In John 15, Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, 
but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. God chose you to be obedient, and obedience is peculiar in this world. You're chosen by God to enjoy a relationship with God that defines everything you are and do, which makes you different, rather strange, in fact. But God has chosen you, so get out there and be strange. May you read your ancient book of wisdom, believing it is God's word to you. May you close your eyes and passionately pray to a God you cannot see. May you give your resources generously with no thought of receiving. May you openly admit that everything you have and are able to do is because God has given it to you and God has enabled you. May you care deeply and pray for others often. And remember that this behavior may seem strange to the world, but it's mainstream with God. When you live into his grace, you'll experience his peace. Finally, Peter closes with a greeting that is actually a blessing. May God give you more and more grace and peace. By God's grace, he knew you and chose you before the foundations of the world. By God's grace, he sent his son Jesus to die for you, to be transformed by his love and become living sacrifices. By God's grace, he sealed you with the spirit and secured your life forever. By God's grace, he has things for you to do. And he's called you to be obedient and by his grace sealed you with the spirit to pour his power through you. By God's grace, you have peace, peace of mind, and peace with God. In 1922, at the University of Toronto, scientists went to a hospital ward with children who were comatose and dying from diabetic ketoacidosis. Now, prior to this, it was exceptional for people with type 1 diabetes to live more than a year or two. Diabetic children were kept in large wards, often with 50 or more patients in each, mostly comatose. Imagine a room full of parents sitting at a bedside waiting for the inevitable death of their child. The scientists went from bed to bed and injected the children with a new purified extract, insulin. And as they began to inject the last comatose child, the first child injected awakened. One by one, all the children woke from their diabetic comas. A room full of death and gloom becomes a place of joy and hope. Now, while we wait and hope for a COVID-19 vaccine, uh, we can experience peace now because God chose you for a shot of grace. Without it, we're dead in our sins, but with it, alive to God in Jesus Christ. Grace and peace go together, and since grace is abundant, so too is peace. Uh, we don't wait from nothing now to something then. God's grace and God's peace are yours today. May you thank God that you are his favorite person, and may you live into the living hope of grace and peace through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey everyone, this is Nick Bartunik. I'm the creative arts pastor and worship pastor for our Mountain View campus. And I just wanted to say a few words about some awesome resources that we have available for you online. First and foremost, you can head to our new and updated website, highway.org, where you can find links to resources and online events. 
Facebook is also a great place to get connected on Sunday mornings or to your specific campus. Sunday mornings at 11 a.m., we host a live stream of worship, followed by a short homily for the season on our main Facebook page at facebook.com slash highwaycommunity. Each campus also has a private Facebook group that allows you to interact with our members of Highway by sharing posts or pictures or requests for prayer or for help. You head to Facebook and just type in the name of your campus, you should be able to find it. And if you're not the Facebook type, that is okay. All our online worship services end up on our YouTube page where you can watch them shortly after they go live. Consider subscribing to our YouTube channel so you can stay up to date on all our services and live streams. You can head to youtube.com slash the highway community to explore what we have to offer. And as always, stay safe and know that myself and the rest of the staff are praying for all of you in this really hard time. May God give you peace, grace, and an abundance of his love in this season. So till we can connect with a hug, this is Nick signing off and passing a blessing your way. See you soon. Mm -hmm.